Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. For this podcast, I invited Corn Exchange alumnus Marka Halloran to take over mic duties and chat with Fall of the Second Republic's director, Annie Ryan, and Taoiseach for Life, Andrew Bennett. A grand coalition, if you will. This recording is a delightful listen. It has all the familiarity and laughter you would expect, capturing the exploding moments of the Corn Exchange's entry into Irish theatre land, their trademark Commedia style, and their willful knack of turning classics on their head. A litany of era-defining productions are remembered, and we get a peek behind the curtain for shows like Car Show, Foley, The Seagull, Dublin by Lamplight, Every Day and Free Fall. It's not all memory lane stuff. Dark questions heap up on the horizon. But it does recall a time when rents were manageable, possibility abounded, and there was the luxury of developing work long before prosperity changed the social contract of our city. Enjoy this podcast. So, here are us three sitting, chatting about the Corn Exchange's new play, which has just opened at the National Theatre. Um, I'm here with Annie Ryan and with Andrew Bennett. Annie is the artistic director of the Corn Exchange. She started the Corn Exchange way back when, Mm -hmm. back in the day. Um, And Andrew, who has worked with them extensively, Does this play, Annie, um, talk to you first, does this play feel like you're going back to what is the roots of Corn Exchange or the, you know, back to the methods that you, that that made the Corn Exchange work strongest? Yes, in some ways, definitely, in that, um, I mean, on the face of it, it's not in the old style, as we say, so it's not in the old white face, but those are tools that I always use anyway as a kind of starting point in any rehearsal, so I would always be harking back to the body and harking back to key principles of of ensemble play and in some cases some improvisation but the fact that Michael really wanted this kind of body in your face political comedy um, really did remind me of you know back in the day all of us running around improvising before Dublin by Lamplight or just doing workshops so there was that kind of raucous element that was uh, very much part of the identity of the piece. And Andrew, you, you would you see yourself as central to to the work that that Corn Exchange has done over the years? I mean, you've been in you know you've been in some of their most important work. Uh, well, yeah, I, we were just saying beforehand. I, we think I was in maybe about ten Corn Exchange shows, but this would be the first Corn Exchange show I'd done in ten years. So why did you come back? <laughs> For the money. Were you out of loose For the money. For the money. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's. Uh, it was kind of extraordinary, you know, because it having been so long since we had worked together um, and, you know, age has definitely softened her up. <laughs> uh, no question. Uh, she's much more pleasant to work with nowadays. Um, uh, almost to an embarrassing extent. Uh, I'm so nice now. Oh, you know, she's like, it's just horrific. You almost you, like me now, don't oh, you? Andrew, do horrific. you trust that niceness? No, I <laughs> well, no, we, if we got away with it this time, so you never know. But, um, uh, so no, I wouldn't, I, I, I don't think I could say that I was central to Corn Exchange, but I mean, I was certainly there at the beginning. It, the one of the first major works was Foley that was done. Mm. Like that was well, a very early work. Well, it was no, very, and it was and it was of, of, of real corn exchange stuff. I would say Streetcar and Big Bad Wolf, and then and you were in both of those. Baby Jane. I wasn't in Baby Jane, but uh, I was in Streetcar and Big Bad Wolf, and they were the most sort of 
wild yeah. beginning. But that's to, when you know, Corn Exchange kind of went off yeah. like an explosion. Like they yeah. felt like the freshest thing yeah, in town. Yeah. Every actor Wasn't wanted to be in the shows. In retrospect, to feel like the freshest thing in town. In yeah. fairness, when you know you'd watch a play in the Abbey and no one would move their arms for like two hours, you'd be like, wow. No I'd one love to see that arms. show now. There's too much <laughs> arm movement much going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> but yeah, and you know, I mean, those works were you know, I just did them. I didn't have the rights to them. It turns out you can't do that kind of thing I thought you know this like when I think back to Streetcar it would have been brilliant to do that in Edinburgh or whatever but I got a big slap on the yeah, wrist yeah. from the a cease and desist I, yeah. I, yeah you've been a very naughty girl was what the agent actually said to me on and the that phone. was because you, you put it on at the at what was the new Fringe Festival a very uh, yeah and what very, year was that uh, 95 was the first year of the Fringe so that year we yeah. actually did a kind of series of performances in Temple Bar Gallery and one of them was a little comedia show in a car with yes. me and um, Terry O'Hagan Oh. And uh, we did this like Thelma and Louise drive off a cliff in the style. And the second year we did Streetcar yeah. in the same space. So, But that was really our first proper corn exchange show, Streetcar. Mm-hmm. And what you'd done with the text was? Yeah, cut the bejays out of it. This, you're not allowed to do this, kids, yeah. just in case you get excited. <laughs> don't try this at home. <laughs> well, or do, but like don't expect to take your show anywhere because it, it really, you're really not allowed to do it. But anyway, I cut the crap out of the play and uh, cast four people and cast the beautiful Tony Flynn as Blanche Dubois and it turns out that, I don't know if this is actually, I haven't really looked this up since, but Someone told me that Tennessee Will Williams has it in his will that you're not allowed to cross dress, which yeah. is like, so you know. We so knew you we did everything wrong. You cut his text. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. you you made totally a, a Blanche into a drag queen, um, but you yeah. also introduced this type of style, and that was yeah. the reason that the Corn Exchange started. Yeah. Did you, when you came to Dublin first, because you were from Chicago, is that right? Mm-hmm. And you came from a theatre background in Chicago and you were part of an experimental theatre group, would that be right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of more in-depth than that. I trained from a very early age with uh, Joyce and Byrne Piven, whose work is based in ensemble improvisation, uh-huh. basically, and story theatre. And then their kids, when they grew up, some of them became movie stars or some of the kids around the place became movie stars. And they had a lot of cash. And when they were in L.A., they found the style from Tim Robbins' company, Actors Gang. And they brought it to Chicago and formed New Crime. And I was a couple years younger, so very much on the fringes going, can I be in your company? And they said yes eventually. And uh, so I more or less took that both of those schools, if you like, the kind of games work and the ensemble-based work and the story theatre work and the commedia and the commedia still you, the practice that I teach. Can you explain you what know, succinctly means. what is the commedia? Sure. What is the... I mean, basically, it's... it's The reason I still even bother teaching it is that it's a very strong style that embodies moment-to-moment... Uh, moment to moment moment acting in a very extreme physical way so that comes with a bag of rules like for example you must be in one of the four emotional states only happiness sadness fear or anger and I've yet to see someone play a state that I can't put into one of those four Mm -hmm. so in other words it it sort of limits the choices for the actors. So they know there's only four states. So which one is it? It's fear, go. And then on a scale of one to 10, you're supposed to be in 10 all the time. So it's got this very extreme, very male, masculine kind of energy, very yang energy. Um, it's played with, accompanied by percussion. It has rules like you feel the state first, then you move, 
then you speak. So you would always give a gesture before you speak. So it's very, very, very technical. And then it adds this extra element where the characters are masked, in our case with makeup. But uh, we break the fourth wall in a way and that the characters, when they speak to someone next to them, kind of bounce it off the audience as if the audience are, a, are like a camera. So they eyeball the audience in the first or second row yeah. So they're getting the full impact of the of a line from Blanche or whatever it is. Uh, they're getting it in their face, and then we're kind of cutting to the other character with this head. And turn. it's not the same as clowning. Like there, there's not, mask work not at in all. it, but and the biggest difference that is really and this really messes up people who've done a lot of lecoq lecoq training, which is clown training. When they come to me doing the comedia work. They often think it's quite similar. And the big, big difference is that for the characters you play in the commedia style, the fourth wall is still there. In other words, they are in their bathroom or they are in a car or yeah. they're in their kitchen <clears throat> or in a bar or they're wherever they are. So in a funny way, it's closer to naturalism than it looks. So we're talking about character. So it's not meta-theatrical in not any at way. All. It's, it's not utterly narrative. So it's it's character in a story, in a place. And what the style does is that it breaks open through the this stylistic way a chance to connect with the audience in this very dynamic way. But it's so full on. Mm-hmm. that And the very last performance of Dublin by Lamplight in London in 2007, you were in that show, I believe. I wasn't in the London run, though. Oh, you weren't. That no. was beautiful Tom. Yeah. Beautiful Tom Murphy. Tom God Murphy. rest him. You're right. Uh, but the very last one, um, this 20-year-old from the back row went, yeah, that was really interesting, but they attributed the same importance to every single line. And I went, oh, my God, she's right. So the style is a, an amazing tool for actors. It demands so much of you, all of you, all of you. It's, like, impossible. It's really terrifying in the beginning, really super super demanding it's asking a lot of expertise in movement and mime and improvisation and makeup and costume design like right now go so it's very much being like pushed over the edge of a cliff and you came to Dublin with that with that but and you, with the vision I have to say did like, you, you came to Dublin with the idea that I'm going to start my own company here's a really terrible I'm going to, story go on so this friend of mine <laughs> i got to change this oh place oh my god well it's so <laughs> embarrassing I, can, I can't even believe I'm actually just going to say it. but um, I was at a wedding a friend's wedding and we were playing the game of uh, I think I was about 20 or something and we were doing where will you be in five years and I was like I think I'll be in Ireland I'll have my own theater company I'll be married to Michael West and then I don't you know anyway that's you did all of those parents. things I did all of those things yeah yeah now actor uh, Andrew you know we're both actors uh movement wasn't the the, the thing that we were taught you know we were taught that that the theater was essentially literary mm. and that all you had to do was speak beautifully yeah. Um, and uh, and eat your dinner when you're on the stage. <laughs> not, yeah, not hopefully yeah. not on the stage. <laughs> not on the stage. So what what was it that attracted you to working with Annie? I I, I the first saw Comedia. Uh, I don't know what the date was, but Barabbas were setting up as a theatre company, mm-hmm. and they decided they it was March. It could have been like this date in 1993. 93 right is that oh, okay? Paddy's Day. Yeah. So they. They wanted to see would they be able to teach their cloning techniques to a standard Irish cast. Yeah. And <laughs> I was living with Sean Madden at the time and he was doing the things and one night uh-huh. we were out in the pub and he said to Michael Murphy, Andrew Bennett would be interested in doing it. So I was invited in and I saw my first ever Comedia improvisation. It was Annie 
was playing a lover. She was a little Japanese geisha girl lover, the little black eye. And uh, Michael Murphy was a French ballet dancer lover. And Cindy Cummins was a mama pina working in a, an abattoir covered in blood. And they just did this amazing improvisation. They got into a helicopter at one stage and because they needed to get bananas or I don't know what the hell. But it was extraordinary. And uh, so I kind of followed them to the pub afterwards and um, kind of just got involved with this thing because I'd never, as an Irish actor back then, I had never seen anything at all like it. As you say, people didn't really move. Well, I think the workshops that you were doing, Annie, felt like some sort of psychic breakout or something or psychiatric <laughs> breakout like they, yeah. the characters that you encouraged were the most extreme mm. but they weren't it wasn't so much you were inventing stories but exploding moments the tiniest moments they put your hand into your bag and you don't have the key yeah. you don't yeah, have the key right. and it was all of those kind of things felt like as if the work was really new in that kind of way mm-hmm. that it was non-literary it was yeah. it was something else it was deeply physicalized work and that was unusual for Ireland at the time do you yeah, think sure was <laughs> yeah yeah it really really was and i i could somehow i had spent a year um in trinity uh in 8990 and so i had already started sort of teaching the work even though i'd only been introduced it that previous summer but um but I did a workshop in Trinity with like uh Connor Linehan on piano and and so I was already such a nerd for it that I I couldn't help but share the work and and really it is all about just embodiment it it comes with all of these you know this sense of grotesque so you're looking at ordinary types uh, types of like stereotypes of people. So when mm-hmm. Andrew talks about the lover, say, or and there were how many Pina, stock characters you would play? There's a, a good handful of stock mm. characters from, and they would have names from the old old Italian dell'arte. So you would have, for example, Pantalone is at the top, and they're all at the totem pole. So Pantalone would be a character who's about money and power, traditionally male, or the although the correct pronoun for all these characters is they, because yes. of course. They can really be any age, any gender, any race. They can be from anywhere. But the key is if you're playing one, you have to know how old you are, what world you're in. And that's a a beautiful kind of moment of discovery for the actor where they're like, I think this woman is from Texas and she's she owns the rodeo and she whatever so but the thing about the pantalone is that they are driven by money and power whereas the dottore is driven by the work they do the love of the work whether that's mathematics or <coughs> art or guitar or whatever so and then it goes down and down and down to the to the lower characters that include uh andrew mentioned the mama pina who's basically the working class mama who has about 15 children and sells fish down the road and works and you have the like Harlequino who's the joker and the trickster and all of the that lighthearted tricksters in the old tradition were these used to improvise plays were these used and they were used as satirical devices to, yeah, to absolutely they were travelling troops that went around Italy with a you know a troop of actors that would play the same character all the time but they would improvise and the whole point of it was to take the piss out of the people in power so you can really draw a direct correlation between any comedy now basically, and Commedia, or any Shakespeare play, even, and Commedia. Like, the, those types, 
just exist. And once you do the style for a while, you walk down the street kind of going, oh my God, there's a so-and-so and there's a so-and-so. Or, and then there's a whole hybrid crowd where we've devised over the years, uh, you know, someone who might be a little bit of a mixture, say, of mm. the pantalone. <clears throat> say, for example, Diva is a character we've kind of invented over the years who looks like a pantalone with her fine feathers and furs. In fact, Blanche is probably one of them. Yeah. She's a good bit of lover, but she's also uh, Columbine, the kind of working class girl, you know, the prostitute in a way. So she's got all of those mixtures. And she's a little datore too because mm. she's usually a singer or an actress or something. And Andrew, do you remember, as I do, the sheer terror of those workshops? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the rule of thumb was when you were <laughs> asked to get up and you're allowed to play one of four states happiness, sadness, fear, anger just always do fear because it's the only one that you have instant access to yeah. but I remember we'd be behind a curtain and there'd be a whole line of us and it'd be like where the drums are going and Annie's sitting up the front row manically playing the drums like, come on, come on out and you'd come out and you'd go Bleh, and she'd go Get back! I don't believe you! Come in again! Come in again! Yeah, yeah, I know. It's so mean. I wondered also, was there a special... Was there a time... Was, was 1993 or that time different in Irish... I mean, I have a theory about it where we ran out of room or we ran out of the interest of writing plays about nationalism and suddenly there was room for something else. And I think that the Corn Exchange might have come out of that in a weird well, way. In a funny way, you could you could go back to the gays in a sense. And when I think about it, really, to- Tony Walsh was running Elevator. This is really yeah, how the yeah, company yeah, yeah. was formed. He was running these nightclubs to all of these kids on ecstasy and giving a platform to performance. So like kind of, you know, they had us playing to a bunch of ravers, but also... And that was in the Ormond Multimedia or, yeah, Centre, which is... Exactly. Which is well, you call it the Orban <laughs> Multimedia Center. It was basically a f- building that was falling down. Yeah, that, with that was spores and visible spores. Like it was a it very was sick building. Yeah. yeah, but it was the first home to Bedrock and a number of other companies. Yeah. Um, and uh, Tony had a real uh, gave us our first ever platform there, and then the Fringe was really born from that. So uh, f- from by um, Fergus Linehan and and Jimmy Fay. Mm-hmm. So it came out of I think an explosion. I mean, maybe it, it is really a direct result of, you know, the legalization of homosexuality and the kind of this sort of celebratory thing. Yeah. And maybe Italian 90, because I, I was here for that and kind of couldn't believe that this was the first time people would pour onto the street with tricolors and just celebrate Ireland in this really kind of balls out way. Whereas before that wouldn't have been a thing there would be no reason to do that. So it was a the early 90s, having not a, been here in the yeah. 80s, but in the early 90s, there was this sense of freedom. And it was also the beginning of the Celtic Tiger. So it hadn't gotten as ugly as it did around 2006, say, where it got really disgusting. But in the early days where you had the sense of potential. But maybe everyone in their 20s has that sense of potential. I'm not really sure. But I think Dublin really did. Mm. And it... it coalesce with all of our 20s you know and um, is it just us also maybe perhaps looking back and we were young we're full of energy well, maybe. and maybe we just thought that we were we were part of a new movement or something but it actually it, it well, did become it a new movement and yeah. I mean maybe that's <clears throat> the same is true for the 20 year olds now where they are part of a new movement because yeah. they're more politicized than we were you know we were kind of coming out of the dark ages in a way going yeah let's have a great time and and I didn't really know the country before that but I was somehow something about that 
wild, physical, sexual, visceral style really spoke to people. And but there was really also, I think, a sense in the eighties, if you did something a little bit left field. You know, they do a documentary about you and you'd be mad. <laughs> Whereas this was, I think this was a generation of people who just went, oh, for fuck's sake. You know, it just was, say what, say it, what's that, on your mind. Do you know, what's this, on your this mind. This is a little bit dark, but I fully expected to be invited in to the Abbey like the very next year and be, you know, this is the first show I've ever made here. So that's... But um, you've had shows on the main stage here. No, I haven't. Only that Didn't I've toured. Freefall Free Fall and Open by Lamplight played <coughs> here, but, but they weren't only originated after here. they were they weren't originated here. Okay. So that is something says something about the conservatism potentially of you know that even if of the mainstream maybe or you know it wasn't really the case that Ireland was you know our generation was really open to it, but the the institutions was, probably weren't. They weren't, I don't think. Andrew, did you do all that crazy stuff at the at the Ormond Multimedia Centre? Yeah. I mean, like the performance stuff, not the dancing around. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember my first time there, I went as a Max. Oh, yeah. And Max would be one of the... He'd be the lowest of the low. He, and, wouldn't, and be, he wouldn't be the greatest intellect in the no. world. No, no. But, and, and but has a good innocent. heart. Good-hearted, innocent. Yeah. Easy to play because of that. But I had very, very good <clears> makeup, probably done by Annie. And where I had a, like a broken tooth and all my face had gone green and yellow from it. And a young man, absolutely off his face, came up to me and said, are you off your face or are you here? <laughs> and I just smiled. You know. That should, that should, that's probably the greatest review yeah, no, of, the, of any of your work. Yeah, yeah. No question, yeah. The, the funny thing then is, <clears throat> so you come from this improvisational background, you come from this kind of background that's involved in physical theatre and inventing stories on the hoof within your workshops, but you, you start tackling classic texts. Yeah, Why well, did that happen? Well, I suppose when I was in Chicago in New Crime, they were doing... None of them were writers. They were all actors... And then they all ended up doing, they wanted to go back to L.A. and they ended up doing really sophisticated work like Hot Tub Time Machine and stuff like that. So I don't know. But I was looking at the work going, you should be doing Arthur Miller. You should be doing the American classics and then turning them inside out. So it never occurred to me to make something up until 2004 in a way. I, so I, the impulse to take Streetcar and turn it on its head um, felt like a natural step. Uh, and then, you know, when we did Dublin by Lamplight, that was our first original piece. Mm-hmm. Was that the um, first original piece that you did? Well, not including Car Show, I suppose. Car Show or, or and Foley was Foley there. Foley was an original piece, yeah. And that was not in the style, but, um, but very much written for Andrew by Michael uh, West. And, uh, but we thought, after Foley, we thought we should do a piece, an original piece. And then we did. <laughs> yeah. But you're asking about, like... The, the text, you know, like, um, I don't know, you're asking something about well, I think, the primacy of text in the work. Or well, something. always we, you know, the Irish li- uh, theatre tradition is a literary tradition, and we're yeah. told the National Theatre was is still called uh, the lit- uh, literary theatre, and yeah. the word was always sacrosanct. You know, even when you went into into rehearsals with a play or with a I, I, things very you were told to kind of revere it mm. whereas yes. this work came from a totally different direction and then adding on text I think was a very yes. healthy thing in, yeah. a, in a weird kind text. of way it was very and, yeah. and made you know. some great some very good shows you know I mean yeah. 
the first seagull that we were both in. Yeah. I thought that was a great show. Yeah. Um, and uh, what do you call it? Um, Cat in a Hot Tin Roof again, where you're yeah. using what is a classical text, I suppose, really mm-hmm. at this stage, um, and turning it into a. But also not having the the, the kid gloves, the, the not having well, that with feeling. With Cat, we did, you know, with Cat, we didn't cut the text. We weren't really we allowed not? to. We cut it very minorly, but mm-hmm. uh, but what we did do was set it in Ireland. And what we found with the language is that it was no problem mm. to have Big Daddy be from Limerick. You wouldn't think so on the face of it, but strangely, the kind of southern vernacular of the writing just somehow really worked in an Irish accent. It was very odd. But there's a lyricism. I, 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 it pains me to say this, but there's a lyricism <laughs> to the Limerick accent at times. <laughs> and um, the Clare accent. And the Clare accent Simone wouldn't Kirby be far behind. Was, uh, there was oh, no one at Monsters. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but, but yeah, I've never, because I come from an acting background and an improvisational background, I'm always more interested in the moment and making the moment work than I am in in pleasing the playwright or or feeling like that that's you know I'll, I'll do anything to make the moment work and yeah. of course I'll start with the text but you know I remember Marina Carr said I've got this play for you Annie I have this play I want you to do it it's seven hours long or something five hours long and I said I don't know Marina like I like to cut the shit out of people's <laughs> plays and she goes oh no that won't work <laughs> so I don't think that'll happen but um even though I love her. but uh, And, you know, Michael's unusually kind and because we worked together for so long and are married and, oh, my God, it's no joke. But he's used to me cutting the shit out of his work or changing it or having that flexibility. And that is but still Michael very, also very rare. delights in performance and he delights in actors. That's right. And he loves being in workshops and he yes. has an eye for workshops. He picks up detail in workshops yeah. and, and he's he able to understand well. improvisation. That's right. And, and <clears> you know, <throat> he knows well that an actor in rehearsal will go, you know, this isn't work. This is the language. So, for example, in this current piece that we're doing, um, uh, Katrina Ennis, who plays Emer Hackett, had a, you know, she would have such a strong ear for what the character is. And in, in you know, there were plenty of examples of her rewriting a line, you know, and, and I have no problem with that. And Michael has no problem with that either. But that is still rare. And I think, mm. you know, I would think in the London theatre or, you know, any... Like it's just not what you're supposed to be doing. Well, like but. taking up all that 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 work that I've done with you and that 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 kind of the the, mm. uh, the understanding of what a writer's place is within that process and all of that, taking that into writing for the film world. That's exactly what happens in the film of world. Of course, like you yeah. go in, you throw in, and your your script is is a thesis towards what the end product is going to be right. but yeah. it gets questioned and you get asked to change yes, things and, yes, you get, and it's a collaborative and form. it's a collaborative form and yeah. of all the theatrical or the, the theatre companies that I've worked with I've felt Corn Exchange celebrates ensemble and celebrates mm. that collegiate kind of work in a way do you agree well, with that? Well I hope so yeah because I feel like That's nobody not li- knows what the like you know, you walk into a rehearsal room and someone's written a play. No one knows what's going to work. No one knows what it's going to be, really. The director can pretend they know, but they're <coughs> lying if they say they know. and Or they're pretending to know in order to kind of run a room properly. But look, no one knows what the thing is until you see it in front of you. And the same is true for film. Of course, film has the great luxury or curse of the editing suite, and that can go on for months, presumably, mm-hmm. and where you're changing things around and cutting things and reshooting things. God knows. But... Um, but with us, we have to do it really, really quickly and really, really listen with a great sense of discernment for what 
is annoying you, you know? Yeah. So if there's something that's hitting you funny as an actor or, well, me as director, but for anyone in the company, and that could be a that could be part of the text, but it could also be a design decision or it could be, you know, it could be any choice in any of the work, like a, a sound design thing. Or yeah. If anything is hitting you as not sure, that feeling is going to come back. It doesn't just go away. So you've got to address it as early as possible in the work. Andrew, I always, I said, uh, one of the things, the strengths of working with Annie, um, she'd challenge you now once in a while, <laughs> to be honest with you. But she'd also, I always felt, you know, back in those early days that she'd never allow you to go on stage and look and like me, an idiot. Yeah. She'd always tell you you're doing a funny walk and it looks stupid. And you know that other directors would kind of go, we, we mustn't speak to the actor like that. You know, as long yeah. as we can hear the lines, all is okay. There was a genuine feeling of let's all, you know, I, I felt that as an actor, I don't know whether you agree that I became a better actor through working with Gold Exchange. Oh, Exchange. no question. I mean, the whole, <laughs> just the, the simple rules of Commedia are a grammar you can use when even when you're not doing Commedia. Even in your own home. Even in your own home, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like turbans out of towels, you know. That is the thing. But, um, I, I've always wondered as well, Annie, how, because you had this costume store and old wigs that, you know, that had probably 900 actors pass through them. I still how have there, all that stuff. How there wasn't a great scabies out, outbreak yeah. um, no, in the court the, exchange. The cold. It's just too cold for those boys to survive. <laughs> That's the truth. I'd like but, to go oh, back Jesus. and talk about, you know, not everyone got the work at the start and I, I mm. some critics maybe reacted strongly against it I remember with uh, the seagull the seagull, the seagull so there was there was a, quite a famous review that said I believe it said something along the lines of losing the plot completely in an insult to Chekhov <laughs> yeah that was the actual headline <laughs> <laughs> and then they went further and implied that Constantine, who's played by DP, our friend oh, yes. David Pierce, uh, that DP killed himself in the play just to get out of our miserable production. production. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, not that was that was like amazing. That was. Like I just wanted that review to be plastered all over so posters. Good. I just thought it was the greatest thing that I'd ever come across. But also, partly that was because I thought it was a really good production. Yeah, and it I was really good loved production. being in it. I loved playing that show. Yeah, and. Funny enough, I've met people subsequently, people who were young people coming to the theatre for the first time. People, um, Wayne Jordan, for instance, yeah. talks about that production Beautiful and how Wayne. that had an effect on him and his aesthetic and what he wanted to do and the performances that he saw in him. I thought it was a really... Did you feel at the time that this was a, a, a production that felt important to you? or? Yeah, well, I <laughs> guess my teachers would have been huge Chekhov fans. So I was sort of... Um, you know, they're Russian Jews, so the weight of the world and all of that and the sense of lamentation, you know. Uh, so I, I, we were always doing Chekhov short stories in mm -hmm. the training. Um, so, uh, and I had studied Russian. I loved Russian. So, you know, um, so it was a great privilege to, to make our own translation. And I mean, it was Michael's officially, but I was, you know, very much across every single line. Um, but uh, like, so I suppose... I was making the work for us, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, it felt the like the concept, when I think back, was as if it was a company, it was sort of set in the 70s, and as if a company in the gate were doing the Seagull, and this was their rehearsal outfits. So everyone was in like turtlenecks and, 
you know, not unlike this play, a lot of sideburns going on. Mm-hmm. But it was all casual wear, and it's a play about the theater. And we were young for for sure, but um, but the seagull of all of Chekhov's, Chekhov's work has a lightness to it and a kind of um, beautiful play between art and love, and you know, and of course it was a great pleasure pleasure to get to revisit that work again in um, 2016 yeah, uh, with Dublin right, Theatre Festival. Um, yeah. It was my it was my corn exchange debut. Oh my God, Medvedenko! You're uh, bye bye pushing the bye bye pushing the bye. There was oh Your yeah, there was lots of th- I had a very long goodbye in it, which I milked but like nobody's was bye 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 and on and on and on. Oh my God! And Sonia Kelly is Sonia Kelly was Masha. She was gorgeous in a huge brown moustache fell off when we were out in Tala. There was a lot of mishaps, like technical mishaps in the show as well. That there was a lot of corpsing in that show. I know, but it was kind of fun. It was. But this is the thing. Like it's like it's all always for the audience, but. An audience can smell a good time, you know, and they can smell if <coughs> if if a performer is really engaged. And for God's sake, like most, a lot of our work is super dark. Like I love the dark stuff. So, yeah. you know, Aoife Duffin was not having a great time during during Girl as a half form thing, but you can feel the commitment. And I hope I've been able to take good care of people yeah. in the process, and so that they feel like they're on solid ground when they're up there, and that whatever the piece is doing is is channeling through them to the audience whether that's for you know comedy like in this production or the seagull or and all of the know, time that you're doing these productions you're also constantly running workshops so you're constantly yeah. training up new players that's and right. some of the plays have come out of those workshop scenarios yeah. or ideas that have been thrown up in those yeah. but not so much <clears> in the last 10 years simply because that's expensive to do so yeah. back when we made Dublin by Lamplight and Every Day both of which you were in um, you know, we had more money. Uh, for a start, everyone was paid a lot less, but also, like, we really did have, like, double the grant that we had 10 years ago, even, you know. So yeah. we could afford to employ people for four weeks of workshop. When I think of that now, like, you couldn't, no one could do that in the world, probably, apart from Eva Van Hove or something, you know. So, like, we did four weeks and then we wrote the play. And then in, in Dublin by Lamp, like, this case, we had a baby. Yeah, there was <laughs> so a baby that arrived, yeah. We did had the baby wrote the play then we did the play about five months later I mean you know you wouldn't be doing that in your 50s to tell you but uh, not at all whenever that um, happens for me I know (laughs) (laughs) Um, but um, maybe you talk a little bit about Dublin by Lamplight because that became mm, like it was a really at the time it was a high watermark for for the company and what it was doing it was a really it kind of realised all of the aesthetic things that you mm. were playing with and all of the, the, the thematic things. Well, it's again more of a sense of discovery than, uh, you know, it's not so much that I set out to realise something, but it's more to discover what would happen if we mix this with this. So in that case, it was this uh, form of story theatre, which is basically using third person past tense narration. So she sat in the chair, she could feel whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's using that with the Commedia <coughs> style, which means it's all just amped up to 90. Mm-hmm. And we found in Workshop that it really worked together. So we sat about to make a play in that, with combining those two elements. So what you have And it was end, tying in, though, also to... It was the 100th anniversary of, of the and Abbey's Michael wanted formation. To write, exactly. So Michael wanted to write about 1904, which wouldn't... Like, I'm no historian. Like, I would have been like, yeah, sure, we can write about 1904. And also being the outsider, 
um, to Ireland and to, you know, and not, I don't have a big history background or literary background even. So I would be the kind of Egypt in the audience who wouldn't know the references. Mm -hmm. So I found that that's been a very useful thing to be director over the year to go, if I'm not getting it, then no one else is going to get it because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so I, I would make sure and, and that, that's been very useful in this process as well. And uh, in that sense, this has been kind of similar in that both pieces where Michael wanted to write about a particular time because of the importance of its um, contemporary Reflection. So Dublin by Lamplight was the centenary of the Abbey and the centenary of Ulysses. And we kind of combined those two things mm-hmm. and made a one-day birth of the National Theatre. And Whereas, Andrew, you weren't involved in the play itself, but you were involved in the early workshops for that play, were you? Uh, uh, of, of Dublin by Lamplight. Dublin by Lamplight. Yeah. I thought you were involved in one set of workshops. No. I think yes. you'd already gone off me. Mm. Was that part was of the that? Great Schism? <laughs> the ten years schism. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. It was. It was a kind of a a magical rehearsal period or workshop period. It was period. because look, what was so funny about doing it again, right? So we did it a couple of years ago here in the Abbey, and that was a great pleasure in 2017. And uh, Paul Reed played the part that you originated. Yeah which had twice as many characters as anyone else, like like twice as much stage time. So you would never set out to write a play for an ensemble where one player gets like way too much to do. And that was only because you were such a nutbag and you were so determined to kind of elbow Louis Lovett out of the way to go. I just saw Louis Lovett being brilliant and I was going, I'm, I'm going to give him a run for his money. Yeah. And I literally and got up off the chair for every improvisation. and You just did it. And that's why that role is just so out of whack with everything so if you look at the text by itself it's bananas yeah. like you you would never set out to write that so that's what I mean about discovery to go back to that point like that with that's, but that's an interesting making, it's an interesting you know? way of, of making a play though you mm. use the people who are in your room and all of the talents that they're bringing to the table all of the story uh, uh, telling means that they have at their disposal and you use all of that So, yeah. well, and, and actually Michael is joy. great at reading uh, uh, an improvisation room or reading a, mm. a rehearsal room he knows yeah. and he can write specifically for actors I mean I he think can. that's He absolutely can I mean this process has been different in that we didn't have we did one week or something okay. of, of a devised thing and then Michael very much wanted to write a play set in Dol Aaron and around 1973 and I was going this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life <laughs> like why would A why would uh, only any people in their 80s will remember what that's like whatever and B you know who cares and we're also in a past post we're in a post parody world where yeah. you have our two blonde idiots on either side of us um, you know running these huge countries on either side of us like you can't make up what's going on so I, I had huge problems with the piece and uh, and with the very idea but he basically wouldn't let me fire myself and get someone else to do it and then I insisted that there had to be a female point of consciousness yeah. so we invented or we grew want a smaller character into um Emer Hackett who takes where is he Emer yeah Emer where is he <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in those because you did a series of quite big plays mm-hmm. that I think spoke to the times that we were living through, even obliquely in mm-hmm. a historical sense. Well, that's so the you point had of all of them, actually. Every day was yeah. one of those. Yeah, there was a sense that at that, that time of of dislocation, of us losing ourselves yes, that in was some... that in 2006. S- so that was right in the height of the boom. And we all, as artists, felt like so alienated from everyone in sure. their four-wheel drives and, 
it was such an ugly time. And then straight after that, after the collapse, you did free fall, which yes. again was speaking. And that was, you know, you were central mm-hmm. to, to, to that. Mm-hmm. Were you aware when you were going into rehearsals about that this was a big play or a, that sounds like such no, a no, I, question. But, but uh, there was a kind of depression about it um, mm. in lots of ways. Um like the play itself is it's fairly very depressing sad, play. Yeah. It's a, yeah. The main character dies at the very beginning, you know, and sort of you're seeing back through a, a very sad marriage that's breaking up. Um, <clears throat> and it was dark in other, just the times were dark as well. Mm. We went to Edinburgh. What year was it. that? It, we made it, we started making it in the end of 2008. So it was, so it was, it was sort of born. Everything was falling. It was born yeah, like yeah, right at pieces. the beginning of like the Lehman Brothers fiasco. And then when we were making it, the Ryan Report came out and that seemed to weave itself in and that there was a missing sister. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mammy dies and Andrew's character has a sister who just goes missing and no one can find her. And he's adopted by his auntie and. But we wanted to make something contemporary. So whereas Dublin by Lamplight, well, actually every day was contemporary too. But anyway, we wanted to speak to the sense of change and the grief necessary to allow for change to happen. So, um, yeah, that was freefall. But uh, but but it was actually one thing about every day, which was. I think it was during that um, rehearsal that I said this crazy desire for narrative. Oh what is this crazy God. desire for narrative? But interestingly, because it was hooked into the times that we were making it, it mm-hmm. felt like we were living in a time of fragmentation mm-hmm. and we couldn't find a central narrative to hold a big play together, which is, it sounds kind of weird. And so it became this this mm-hmm. really dreamlike... Yeah, multi, um, multi-story. Mm. But that, I mean, that was its... That was the kind of intention from the beginning. One of the films that was a big inspiration for that piece was Magnolia. Yeah. So we went into it very much thinking, let's, I mean, following Dublin by Lamplight, let's take five, in fact, we had seven main characters, which is too many for a play, probably, but enough for like a series, but let's take a bunch of characters and follow them through a day. So it was, I think it was was still a day. Yeah, it was 24 Um, hours. Am I dreaming, or at one stage was this, um, was there an intention to make it centralised in the Mespel estate that they all? Well, that was definitely we were thinking. Yeah, I mean, there were two of them lived in an apartment. Did all the characters? No, live? No. no, there but, wasn't. No, but, but there was definitely. It was definitely very. Dervla's character, Dervla Crotty's character, and definitely character. lived there. Definitely lived there, and, and, and your character did. Andy Dilahunty and Madeline Byrne O'Brien. Yeah, Madeline Byrne O'Brien. And the lift was well, because half of us were actually living in the mess yeah, yeah. <laughs> or thereabouts at the time. Were you there? Were you? I was living there at that time. Yes. In that play as well, every day we had Tom. Jordan Murphy the fabulous and the late Tom Jordan Murphy I, I think that's one of the disappointments for any younger actor who's going to have corn exchange workshops to not have seen Tom Jordan <laughs> Murphy <laughs> in, especially in, in workshops, workshops because, because you'd have lots like, of us being really serious like yeah let's get out there and do an improvisation and we were going like pass the food and blah blah yeah, yeah, Tom yeah, yeah was the most technically inept actor I've ever come across in my whole life. He was so funny. It took him years and eventually I said, Tom, it's just acting. It's just what you do anyway. And he went, oh. And then he was kind of fine. But that weird thing was like, you'd look at him and you'd go like, 
he he can't walk onto the stage like he he's absolutely <laughs> what is he doing and yet he was the greatest actor that oh, uh, one of the greatest young. actors that I ever the knew great loss it was the same when we were doing Adam and Paul yeah it was literally he couldn't hit a spot there was there was oh. there was there was shots in Adam and Paul where I'm lying beneath the camera you know like beneath the, the eye line of the camera and I'd grab his leg when he hit the spot where <laughs> he was supposed to stop <laughs> oh my god was, that doesn't surprise some, me at yeah all. there were some of his improvisations which are, were oh. the funniest thing do you remember the one where we were all supposed to go away and we were to think of a fairy tale oh this is a long time it had ago. to be it's sort of surreally we were to give it across and not to be to, we're in doing any like way in movement without like language was it could have been uh, but we weren't to do anything you know realistic you know to give it away and Tom's very first thing with his fairy tale was <laughs> to howl like a wolf oh. <laughs> <laughs> he also oh. did he also did a waiter in, a, in an Indian restaurant which I remember to this no, very be day arrested he would be arrested yeah. for cultural insensitivities oh um, in a weird kind of way it kind of brings me to a point which I had which was I don't know whether this is what you feel Annie but it was that we played our youth uh, through the company that we mm. kind of all of the things that we were thinking about or living through we brought into the room yeah. to make the work do you feel that? Yeah definitely and I, I, I still feel that with this play in a sense except it wasn't the same kind of ensemble creative work that mm-hmm. we had the great privilege to be able to do um, you just couldn't do that now with the way the funding is you really like no one can do it unless they're not paying anyone <clears throat> and then they just meet in cafes or whatever and discuss what they want to do but to, to have that level of contribution is just no one can afford to do that anymore. Well it's a, it's a weird one you know at the start of the Corn Exchange I remember sort of traipsing up to workshops in mm. is it Digby Lane or somewhere like yeah. that? Diggs Lane? Dig, no, 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 no. Digby Lane? Granby. Granby oh, Lane. Granby Lane oh my yeah. god. Um, and I remember washing the floor before rehearsal. Washing the floor oh, because it was later. so filthy. That came later. But also just that feeling that most of us at the time mm. were in receipt of social welfare. Yeah. It was an unfunded company at the and time. And also it was cheap to live in. Yeah. Um, but you could survive in that. Of course Rents you could. So crazy, yeah. <laughs> Nowadays Rents it's weren't really crazy. We all lived in Dublin for, you know, we're yeah. still there, which is amazing. Well, my rent was something like forty pounds a week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, I mean, nowadays it's just so hard for everybody. It's really so difficult, hard. and yeah. it's weird how how prosperity can can change the social contract in a city, and it, it can yeah. leave out the art sometimes. Oh, big time! Um, yeah. So we come to the making of this play. So I think you've 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 talked quite a lot about it anyway. But um, did you? Going into rehearsals, were you, did you have a dream cast in in mind? Did you did Michael write for for yeah, specific people? Yeah, very much so. We did a workshop with Andrew and Anna Healy, and actually Rory Nolan was part of that. He isn't with us now, but Katrina Ennis was part of that, and so there was a core company that is still with us. And of course, like even with <coughs> Dublin by Lamplight or any of these things, when it comes to really casting the actual show. People, not everyone's going to be available, so yeah. that's how it goes. Um, but, uh, but very much, it was written very much with people in mind, um, and it was also really trying to speak about today. So Michael was d- deliberately choosing uh, the period around 1973 because it was when Ireland was joining the EEC, mm-hmm. and the troubles were just really in its full, full height, and so. 
just it really came out of his frustration with all the Brexit nonsense all last year yeah. and previous to that, well, since 2016. And then for me, it's more about Trump, I suppose, but and this kind of despot leader. And so he, he was trying to kind of do a piece that filters that uh, rage, uh, but in a comic way. For now, so we really are trying to speak to a sort of sense of the end of days, which is something that certainly all of us in the arts feel really acutely mm. right now. And, and, and anyone young, I think anyone under thirty, you know, who will never move out of their parents' house, mm, and mm. you know, th- that's really serious. Yeah, like, Andrew, who's what's what character are you playing in this? I'm playing the evil despot. The evil despot. What's his name? His name is Manny Spillane. And is he from the kind of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Jean Pool? Yeah. Yeah, um, and I'm very lucky with my hair because I look both like Gareth Fitzgerald and like Desi O'Malley. It's extraordinary. <laughs> Is it something to do with Limerick or? It's, yeah, it's, it's um, just the small hands the and the big hair. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of landed at the most strangely opportune time, though, it's like because we suddenly have this election just as you're in rehearsals Crazy. that delivers the craziest election result that we've ever had, and we are without basically a new government because there's talk of uh, whether we have a, a, a grand, grand coalition, coalition which is I part mean, of your text is absolutely. it not? Absolutely yeah I mean we were literally looking at the news in the middle of rehearsals Michael showed me his phone saying like the headline in the Irish Times was you know grand coalition question mark pretty much which was uh, yeah amazing I mean you you know but really he did write it two years ago whatever but um, yeah and I'm um, you know, the Corn Exchange has had this body of work here in Ireland. You've toured to the Edinburgh, to London, mm. all around the world, to Australia. You've had, you know, you've been lauded all over the world. So I just wonder what is next for the mm. Corn Exchange? Well, it's a dark question because yeah. our funding was cut uh, in the summer. So, and what that means, like the Arts Council have been funding us annually yeah. for 20 years in various guises. So for the last 10, it's meant that we can they'll fund the work, but not any of the core costs. So not the rental for the office, not anyone's salaries, but those are sort of amortized through the activities of the work that is funded, yeah. if that makes any sense to anyone out there. Anyhow, um, so, but... Uh, what happened recently is that um, various journalists got a little bit excited about that and then published that we it was our very last play. Yes. So, it, you know, every play is your last play, right? Until your next one. Someday basically. you'll wake up and you'll turn to Michael Someday and you'll go, I'm we have to do, do a play. <laughs> exactly. So we haven't announced that it's our final, final production. Having said that, um, I am as we speak, out of a job. So I was on, I was one of the very last um, artistic directors with a little salary. So a small salary, but a salary. So it kept everybody going for Mm -hmm. 20 years. So that's a big loss for me personally. But it's hard to imagine that I'll never do another show again. And certainly the invitation from the Arts Council is apply, apply again. But, you know, I think the it's offer very hard is, to, you, know, you know, it's very hard to start up, shut down, start up. Oh, yeah. the continuation. And the work that goes into these applications is really <clears> full <throat> on because you're, what you're applying for is, is the show that has had some development plus any partners and all of those figures need to be 
locked down before the application goes in. And then also whatever else developmentally you're working on. So there might be five other development projects that are at different stages of development mm -hmm. that, you know, you know from your own writing, like yeah, yeah, you yeah. would have like five pots on the boil or six or yeah. eight, ten at any given time. So you're putting in for like, okay, this one is ready to go. This one is going to take a few more years. So the work is sort of ongoing. And the, the thing I'm not so happy with is to just keep that going for a third of the money or, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, like no one's paying us to do this next application so I don't know how we will because I, I don't have a producer to check through the figures and so it is a, a huge huge and loss, indeed this you know? play wouldn't have happened except for the intervention of our national theatre absolutely and I've been arguing for this you know there's been a lot of stuff in the press about co-productions with the Abbey and for sure everyone needs to be on, on Abbey rates and all of that so I'm you know that's <coughs> absolutely a given but um, and they are all totally complying with all of that as well in fact it's been a huge support to be here like amazing but um but I've been arguing for about 10 years to to please co-produce with me because the grant we, were, we had been on for the last 10 years after we were cut doing free fall we were cut in half during free fall which was probably our best work so after that I wasn't able to work in the way that we used to be able to work where yeah. I would gather <clears throat> the troops for a significant amount of time to troubleshoot something and then deliver a play after that and, and really have enough time to really nurture the process. This has been the first time since then, really, that I've been able to do that. Although Dublin Theatre Festival has partnered me with both the Seagull and with Dubliners. so yeah. But those are existing texts. So it was manageable because the, the, the original text is there. But to make original work... Um, takes an awful lot of resource, you know, and yeah. a lot of support. So, so you have no, for uh, you don't have a, 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 a definite plan for another. Well, we had been given, you know, they said please apply again. So we did. We applied for a development grant for a project. So they've awarded us twenty grand to um, develop a new play with Emily Pine. So oh, I don't know what that is, but I absolutely adore Emily. She's very busy with her book, so I don't know when mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. if that will actually come to fruition but we are going to do um, the development work on that and another piece of work um, that was promised last year all of our funding got kind of moved into this year anyway it's a bit complicated yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting one like when you look at the way that, that the film world in Ireland is, is financed they mm. have core companies that they each develop a slate of work and blah blah yeah. blah not meaning that you'll make all of those things but you have chance to, to as you say troubleshoot a, yes. a play or a proposition for and a play and actually one of the one of the areas of contention with the Arts Council was that they were unhappy that we were using development <clears throat> money for projects that fell off the shelf or, or that we would develop something and actually now we're developing this instead and they saw I think they saw that as really flaky but I actually think that that is just what development is yeah. that something happens and for whatever reason you know someone decides to walk off the project or, or it's never been that dramatic but other people take other work or just a project dies down and then suddenly it comes up again I mean I think I've had like three or four projects with you that have been part of develop that, yeah. that really are probably never going to see the light of day or who knows you know yeah, 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 yeah. so that is just the nature of it. it it's tidal it comes and goes and it's cyclical so uh, and for my money I just always felt that the most prudent thing to do was to be really uh, fervently honest about what is the right project to happen now 
with the small resources that we have to deliver. And so it wasn't always the show that we said we were going to do, yeah, 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 but yeah. it was always, I felt, the best use of the money and and always in service of the audience. And well, I think when you look moment. at the legacy of what Corn Exchange has achieved, then it is a, 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 a fine um, value for money. I just to talk to Andrew. Andrew, what do you think is the legacy of the company or what is the leg- legacy of the company for you personally? Or well, I, I, I don't, I mean, for me personally, it's just been a great education. It's mm-hmm. been like half my life, I suppose, in lots of ways. I've made a lot of friends from it and all of that. I presume it's made me a better actor. I don't know. Um, Are there work? Th- is there work in there that you'd go? Yeah, I'd take that with me. I, I, I'm happy with that. Uh, I've, I've never been unhappy with the Corn Exchange show. Okay. Um, I think watching you in Foley. I remember watching Foley when I. We were all younger then. Mm. Is all I'll say. <laughs> but I remember thinking that is a classy piece of work. Mm. And I remember being really in awe of all of you, actually, at the time, thinking, oh, my God, I'd love to step up to that mark. Mm. Would you leave it another 10 years before you work with them again? We'll have to ask the Arts Council. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might call, call it a day after, at that. Yeah, um, thank Annie, you thanks. So it was lovely. We've all got lovely memories of, of all of the work and everything, and hopefully it'll progress into the future. Yeah, either on stage or on screen. Exactly. Thank you.